Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, and like you all know, that certainly must include the annuals. Certainly must, and Well, I'm mischievous Mark Shinacchio, and I'm the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, and as someone who knows what Spider-Man fans should know and do before they die, I also own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but I know that the annuals don't count, and I'm ready to die on this hill to prove it. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for joining us for a special and final Review Roundup episode, and no, it's not because anything bad is happening. We're just changing the format. So yes, this is the final Review Roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk, and like always, we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Today we're going to be rounding up a series of reviews of Amazing Spider-Man that originally premiered for our Patreon supporters back when these issues were first published. That's right, we're going to be reviewing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, numbers 38 through 40, the story where J. Jonah Jameson becomes a podcaster. Remember that gem, Dan? Of course, how could I forget? Also, before I forget, be sure to remember that this episode wouldn't be possible without the support from all of our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose very patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. So look, if you like the show, go to the link to the Patreon in the show notes, and consider becoming part of the team. We know it would help us continue, and I think you guys have a lot of fun. So, if, you know, just consider it. That's all I'm asking. That's all he's asking, folks. Just consider it. Well, Dan, let's uh, get to our review of Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, number 38. What's new? Enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man 38. We got Nick Spencer back, but no Ryan Otley, no Patrick Leeson, but we got Iban Coelho as the artist, and, and pretty good art, I would say. Not quite on par, but up more or less up to the task. Yeah, I think this guy, you know, is as good as any major Spider-Man artist we've had. Like, I would put him in the level of, like, Common Coley, or maybe even, you know, higher. Like, I think this is a real talented guy that, like, has every right drawing Amazing Spider-Man. You know, he may not have the name of, like, Ryan Otley or Patrick Gleason, but uh, I love his art. I think he's really fun to read, and I think an issue like this is pretty good for him. It's kind of sexy, and, and there's a lot of kind of mid-air acrobatics, and he seems to do really fine with those. I mean, probably the biggest compliment I can, pl- I can pay is that I, I had to kind of look 
a couple times through to be like, wait, who is doing the art on this? Is it Gleason? Because it doesn't quite look like Gleason, but it's close. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think he did a good job here kind of adapting to the look and feel of the book there. So good stuff. Yeah. And he's been doing like Venom stuff here and there. I kind of like this guy as like a third teamer. You know what I mean? Like if we're going to get this rotating team, look, I, I don't want it to be rotating quite as much as it is. Like I thought Otley being back on the book, it was going to be like, great, an Otley story that we're going to get here and we're going to continue the whole kindred thing. But suddenly we're off on this whole other thing. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that that speaks to the bigger point here, Dan is okay. So we've had a lot of kind of tangential divergences with this book over the past six months or so. I mean, basically since the Craven story wrapped up, I mean, we had absolute carnage and then all of a sudden we were talking about 2099. And then like, it, it feels like, you know, every time we start getting closer and closer to, to kindred, then all of a sudden we're we're di- we're diverting from that for another two or three issues and and like you know Dan like putting aside who's doing the art even if it's good or not like I don't know man the creative flow of this book is just kind of uh, I don't mean to be hyperbolic but it's just kind of a bit of a train wreck for me right now even if the individual issue itself is okay or or enjoyable like I like just the the the, the holistic approach to this of amazing spider-man right now is a bit of a mess i just don't get what what marvel or the spider office is thinking and structuring their their flagship book like this it's almost confusing me as a critic because you know i i praised the previous issue for like what i said at the time was kind of putting all of its cards on the table for whatever the storyline was so i was expecting like the start of an arc you know and i and i kind of at this point in you and I talking about these books for seven years, you know, I, I, I've gotten used to the kind of slow building first issue that puts all the cards on the table. And I, you know, tend to give it a bit more slack for that because like everybody's got to establish what you're playing with here. And suddenly clairvoyant and kindred and all that stuff is no longer on the table. And we are dealing with some other thing. We're going back to the stuff we were dealing with, with the 2099 story except for no clairvoyant. We're dealing with the Teresa Parker stuff and okay, fine. But like I had kind of put that behind me and was like kind of setting my mind up for something else. And, and frankly, I just am not interested in the Teresa Parker stuff, but I can't keep hitting that dead horse because I, everybody knows how I feel about the Teresa Parker stuff. Yeah. And yet at the same time, we're kind of moving forward on this J Jonah Jameson arc that was, that was started in the last issue. So it, it's just, it just feels very disjointed and, and, you know, very inelegant in terms of how this is all being strung together. I mean, like, like, look, we're, we're not just some like cranky fans being like, just give us the mystery reveal already. Like, I mean, whatever, like, like you can reveal Kindred whenever you want to reveal Kindred. But like, you know, I, I feel like if these are like different points on a timeline right now, we got one timeline that's going three steps forward. We got one that's going two steps back. We got one that's going north. We got one that's going southwest. Like it's it just it's just creating this kind of tower of Babel of Spider-Man stories here, and the unit as a whole is not making much sense. I mean, I think you know, Dan, you and I were texting earlier before the show, and I said to you, even when the individual issue is fine, holistically, right now, this this run is is really starting to let me down, and I and I, I you know I don't know what it's going to take to kind of bring it all back. Like I I, I kind of need to see everything kind of converging back to one point again, and that's not what 
we're seeing here. You know, it's not even that there's like a writing for the trade mentality here because I can't imagine how this book is being collected as a trade. I, I like it would be just mad and madness, which you know I kind of like. You know, it'd be fun to pick up a book with a bunch of random tales in it. You know, but it but it is trying to do both. It's like both telling these really deconstructed long stories and doing kind of like random one-offs with no real kind of like like clear path forward for it, you know? Like, I think we could probably guess Kindred's going to be revealed in issue 50, you know, but uh, that seems more set by editorial guidelines than it does kind of like a natural story flow. Like, that's what this book seems to me. It's like a writer that has to hit two books a month and jump through whatever hoops the editors are throwing at him. Not anybody who's like telling a story how you might logically tell a story. Speaking of editors and what they're throwing out there, before we get into the actual story itself, I think it's worth noting, uh, apparently we have introduced a new character into the world of Spider-Man. Do you care to share who that character is, Dan? Yeah, it's popular fiction writer Nora Roberts uh, is now part of the rotating guest. No, no, that's Nora Winters. But uh, just a humorous kind of mistake on the recap page is that she is written as Nora Roberts, which, you know, maybe one of the editors or Nick Spencer himself is reading a little bit of popular fiction and uh, and mistakenly threw her on there. Mistakes like that just seem to be coming far too common in this book lately, but that's neither here nor there. I, I don't I don't want I don't want to say that because I feel like this book has been solid on the spelling mistakes compared to the slot era where like the recap page misspells and grammar errors were constant you know like this this feels like a standout okay fair enough fair enough i mean at least we're not talking about liz allen en or anything right i mean you know like that 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 dreaded mistake (laughs) yeah right 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 to to the point in my life that i write liz allen with an an now like if i'm writing allen I always write with an A and I have to correct myself the other way. <laughs> Absolutely. That that just goes to show what a bunch of nerds we are. We are nerds. But like I said, talking about this comic individually, you know, there was, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm with you with the Teresa Parker stuff. That horse is so beaten dead right now. I don't even know what else we can do with it. But there was there were also some elements here that I think were a lot of fun, starting with basically the first almost third of this book, which was focused on Jameson and his new gig at Threats and Menaces, which is like, I guess, supposed to kind of be like an amalgamation of like BuzzFeed and other kind of listicle type newish blog news sources that, you know, are basically destroying democracy as we speak right now. And I don't even know if BuzzFeed is fair because they've actually hired really great journalists in this day and age. It's more like uh, who who are the ones that got t- taken down for writing like salacious articles that are factually incorrect? Gawker, Gawker, Gawker. There, there we go. go. Yes, it's kind of that kind of stand in. Um, I don't know, Mark. I thought this was a really kind of smart direction to take the character. I mean, I, I, I will be the first to admit, like if you were to hand me Jonah right now, him knowing Spider-Man's personality, I wouldn't know the first thing to do with the character other than go, uh, he magically forgot. Like I would want to revert that, but like while we're here, I felt like Nick Spencer's take on this was, you know, pretty clever. I don't know if it's forever, but like, 
in this issue, there was some kind of hot stuff that I liked uh, going on. I think any creator has kind of been painted into a corner by this whole reveal that of Jonah knowing uh, Spider-Man's identity. But Spencer kind of leans into it here. I mean, you know, he's he's putting Jonah now in a gig where, you know, the Jonah of a few years ago, this would be like, you know, his, you know, the pinnacle of his career, being able to basically sensationalize about superheroes and 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 their misdeeds and whatnot with impunity. And of course, this puts like Jonah uh, in an ethical quandary because of all the of all the people that he's being asked to slander out of the shoot, it's of course Spider Man who he can't do it. So it, you know, it's 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 good in putting Jonah in in an opportunity to kind of have his have his ethics have his moral quandaries but also kind of solve them in the most jonah way possible and i also kind of like the dynamic with jonah and the the younger co-workers of his i mean you know there's a there's a lot of kid get off my lawn elements to it but you know what that's a tried and true trope and it and it's fun and it works and it works here too yeah i like the idea that like you know if you're not going to change jonah then just change journalism you know what I mean? Like that's the that's the solution is like, oh, we won't strive for truth. We'll strive for lies. And Jonah will be the opposite. Like whatever it is, he's going to be doing the opposite and it will bring Spider-Man pain in, in some regard. And and that's that's clever, I think. And I like the little note about the kids being paid nothing just like he did to Peter. So it's like this company is truly Jonah's legacy in some way. Like, yeah. Not only being paid nothing, but freelancers, which is, again, what Peter essentially was for the entirety of his career, correct? (laughs) Yeah, but, uh, you know, sound the nitpick alarm because we're creating new alarms all the time. Uh, There's this flashback to Peter there where he's kind of coming in and he's got his glasses on and his, like, midtown attire and, you know, Robbie Robertson's leading him into Jonah's room. But eagle-eyed and really nerdy nitpickers will note that Peter did not wear his glasses anymore at the time in which he met Robbie Robertson. And so this is factually incorrect. So take that, Nick Spencer and Eben Coelho. I don't really care, but worth pointing out. But in addition to that, Nick Spencer got to, and speaking of, of beating dead horses, got to beat one of his favorite dead horses, which was all the uproar that his uh, Hydra Cap story started to get. I mean, I laughed at the joke, but at the same token, like, you know, Nick Nick just can't seem to let a day go by without reminding people that, yes, he wrote a story about Cap that really pissed off the internet. <laughs> what I liked about this joke, though, like, you know, not just as a reminder, was that it also kind of made fun of people like me who were cranky the opposite way. Like I got really angry that people were angry about this because, you know, by issue two, it was undone, right? Like he wasn't really Hydra. It was just this red skull thing. It's a classic comic setup where the villain has a victory and the hero has got to find his way out from it, you know, like, and people still argue with me about this today. And if you're listening to this and you're really upset about me saying this, Fine, I respect your point of view. But, like, I got very angry at the people that only read the headlines and clearly weren't reading the comic that would argue with me that, like, he's not Hydra, or he is Hydra and he's ruined forever, you know? And it's like, no, you're clearly not reading the comic. And so I would share these articles and only continue to fuel this kind of train. And Spencer makes fun of me because he gets angry in this about, like, you know, people that shared those dumb articles as well. I at least thought that was clever. Like anytime I could read a book 
and I'm being criticized in a smart way, I appreciate it. I appreciate being challenged. Whatever, Dan. Jack Kirby didn't go punch a Nazi so you can get made fun of by Nick Spencer in a comic book, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there you go. And speaking of being made fun of in a comic book, uh, you know, I thought we were going down the podcasting route here, and I think maybe we ultimately will end up there with Jonah. You know, I have no problem having Nick Spencer make fun of CBR or something in the meanwhile, which I also worked for and also think it's fair to make fun of. We are we are in we are in Festivus and Dan is airing grievances. So there we go. There we go. There we go. All right. So this I think this Jonah stuff is heading a good place, at least by our reaction. You know, the stuff that's a little looser for me is the stuff involving Spider-Man, even if the visuals are really fun to look at. Spider-Man starts the story off robbing a bank. What's that about, Mark? Something, something, shield tech, chameleon, magia, Teresa Parker. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds to me like you love this. Oh, my God, Dan. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm fresh off a reread of this issue before coming on this show, and it still is not compelling me because I just don't care. Like, we, we keep going back to this, this subplot from umpteen issues ago where Teresa Teresa's partner was was killed by the chameleon and I, I just don't I just don't care, Dan. I, I I don't I'm not roped into this character's universe and why is Spider-Man doing things for shield like he's not a like he's and it's like it's like well you know are you are you gonna am i gonna be able to clear my name no sorry sucker and it's like why is he doing this then like what is the point of this like like I don't know Dan I I just I'm not seeing the incentive for anyone here the clearing his name thing is so weird to me like we've got this kingpin story arc that we've been getting where kingpin is like cozying up to spider-man to like try to like get something out of him and you know it's kind of making him look good in the eyes of the population against all the other superheroes and here is spider-man signing up to go rob a bank i just don't i just don't see that like he's always been more like worried and precious about his kind of public persona even though it's always in the trash and, and I get that this story conceit kind of needs it, right? Like if Spider-Man is making his name look terrible, then Jonah is allowed an opportunity to be a hero to clear it. But like, I just, you're right. The justification for doing it for S.H.I.E.L.D. is just not enough for me to have a guy like so eagerly tarnish his name. It seems odd. So so we got this going on and then we kind of transition over to Foreigner and Sable. And I actually thought this was kind of a very elegantly done scene between Foreigner and Sable and like actually kind of had me caring about these two characters but then they kind of just undo it all (laughs) within like a page right (laughs) yeah it's like you know they already made us care about Foreigner right like which we shouldn't right we know he's a villain a really bad villain at that I mean he killed Ned Leeds and or I guess in some fashion he was involved in the death of Ned Leeds so we're told to care about him he's in love with Silver Sable and then at the page turn, no, he's not. Or he's putting up some kind of appearance to, you know, keep up and whatever. But like, I, I mean, like you could you could take it either way. But like, yeah, you, you it, there's this this very vulnerable scene with Sable that shows this intimacy between these two characters, and then I think it like immediately gets cheapened by the next page. So it's like, okay, so am I supposed to be caring about this character or not? I don't know if I if you're going to make me question it that much, then I'm probably just not going to care. <laughs> so so Farner goes to this kind of like floating palace in the sky over New York, which how many of those are occupying real estate here? You know, there's like 
the Inhumans and you name it. And like Asgard and... Yeah, right. <laughs> or it's just one real estate agent that just is selling the same plot of air over and over and over again to different people. But uh, anyway, so Foreigner is there at Fantasy Palace thing and it's been run by Chance, who, you know... We haven't really seen in any meaningful way in quite a while. I think he was in the clone conspiracy or Spider Island in a very minor role at some point. I you know like Spider-Man fought him during Spider Island. Yeah, here's Chance, and he is running this gambling ring, which makes sense, right? He was introduced in a story with the foreigner right before Venom's introduction, you know, involved in taking bets and stuff there. So I thought this is a pretty fair use of Chance. In his own weird way, kind of a fun looking character too coelho did a pretty good job with him like i i i liked the the rendering of, of chance here you know so they're basically taking bets on you know well it's not just on can a hero win or lose because like the foreigner is like i'm not betting against spider-man that seems you know that seems silly and it's like well no but we're it's it's we're, it's it's finer than that you know there's all these over-unders it's like okay so we're kind of like making fun of like the sports booking and the sports betting industry i guess i mean you know a lot of people gamble on sports and kind of in weird off off kiltered ways the the conflict of this of this comic ends up being Spider-Man robbing this bank and getting attacked by drones. Yeah. And there's this weird thing that Spencer does where he likes to kind of comment on his own work or I guess comics in general by like, in this case, it's him suggesting like, you know, we have bets for all these things and he lists all these things. And we even sometimes have bets for superheroes versus villains suggesting that like, you know, in comics that's become increasingly rare. Right. Which is true. Right. Like a lot of these books are now about, heroes fighting against themselves or fighting against literally themselves here. Spider-Man fights against drones. And like, to be honest, like I would much rather have seen him fight against chance, you know, like send a supervillain out to get him. Maybe it would have blogged, you know, bogged the plot down, but like all of this just seems so nebulous. Like Farner takes up a bet, but I don't know what it's on. Is it to Spider-Man to lose? Is it Spider-Man to win? Is it Spider-Man to destroy a bunch of things? He seems to be rooting for Spider-Man to win, but then he's not like, I, I can't really know what the stakes of this are if it's not clearly presented. And we spend like six pages setting this up. And if the result at the end of six pages is, I don't know what to walk away with. What was the point of spending all that time? I don't know, but it really all just seems to be a setup for uh, another one of your favorite recurring tropes of the Nick Spencer run. What happens, Dan? Yeah, so like Chance sends all these goons out after Spider-Man and drones, and one of them launches a missile at him after he's already kind of knocked on the ground. And out of nowhere comes J. Jonah Jameson investigating the scoop, and uh, he's on this great scooter from a guy that like he was yelling at earlier in the issue, which I thought was really elegant. Kind of a smart way to do it. And Jonah jumps down there and uh, pulls Spider-Man out of the way of the missile and shouts, look out. So there it is. There's another look out Captain Stacy style here in this book. And Mark, is there anything we could take away from that? Or is this just another one of those? At this rate, it's intentional. I don't know how it's intentional. Is it intentional related to Kindred? Is it intentional related to something else? I mean, is this is it just that Nick Spencer is a huge fan of Amazing Spider-Man number ninety? I guess at some point all will be revealed. We're we're well beyond coincidence at this point. I I, I mentioned the scooter that Jonah kind of came 
zooming in on to save Spider-Man. I kind of like this because, you know, whether intentional or not, it almost is a thematically resonant, you know, bit where he's kind of adopting something of a youthful generation in order to try to help Spidey. That seems to be the kind of the arc we're getting here, which is like Jonah adopting something like, you know, of the younger generation and trying to help Spidey, but failing in a horrible way. And that's kind of where this book kind of comes to a conclusion. But something happens before then, Mark, set us up for how Jonah ruined Spidey's afternoon. Jonah, of course, you know, is like wants to know what's going on with the whole bank robbing thing. So so Peter gives him the rundown that he's doing this kind of top secret favor for S.H.I.E.L.D. to, you know, to kind of recover their stolen tech. I guess Peter didn't preach the discretion of it all enough because again like going way way back i mean we were kind of just being told as the reader no 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 one can find out about this well why not well and it was like the the reason teresa said it was like it'll create a panic which i just don't understand but whatever so no one's supposed to know that shield is back and that their tech was stolen and of course you know jonah gets his first big scoop on his new website and it says that no spider-man was basically helping to uncover a secret shield plot right yeah there you go (laughs) i mean a decent ending like i just want to see where this relationship between jonah and spider-man is going to go like i don't think this can be the new dynamic it's such a weird setup you know like if you if this is the new dynamic between spider-man and jonah you're going to have a lot of weird like having to write what we did in this issue in order to set up like how Jonah knows something that's going to screw up Spider-Man. Like, I just don't see that sustaining. But for right now, I think it's a good step towards, again, even if it's a bit of a repeat, kind of reestablishing this relationship between the two. Again, it it just seems kind of obvious that this reveal is, you know, regarding Jonah knowing Peter's secret. It doesn't look like it's going to be completely wiped out anytime soon. I don't know what the move ultimately is here, but, you know, this was fun. Like I said, it was a fun reveal at the end. I don't mind it. This works, I guess. Still don't know where this book in general is going, but I guess this worked in the concept of its own 20-something twenty uh, something pages. So there you go. Just to kind of round everything up here, like as an issue itself, I think there's some really like, you know, decent storytelling going on. Not all of it works. Like I think the foreigner conclusion where like, Spider-Man destroys the drones in a really cool, splashy page, you know, and you, and he's like, I win. And then the foreigner somehow loses and we don't really get it. Like that to me is a bit of a fail, but there's other really nice things like setting up the Jonah stuff, the, the scooter, you know, like he's good at crafting nicely, like little self-contained thematic issues, just like the previous one. There's a certain point where the overall flow of this book starts to eat into our grades. Speaking of which, do you want to give this one a grade? Yeah, sure. This one's like a B minus for me. Yeah, I'm going to stick with C plus. Uh, I think that's what I gave the last one thereabouts. I mean, and and yeah, like I, I, I think what you said at the end there about eating into our grades is true. I think like, you know, if we hadn't already gotten other issues of this caliber that seem to be going somewhere, I would have ranked this one a little higher. But like, yeah, I'm just getting frustrated because like, you know, yeah, this was a fine issue. I enjoyed reading it. I, 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 there was nothing inherently wrong with it. But like, what are we doing here? And we still don't know. And I guess we'll find out in two weeks what more is happening. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited about it. Like, I, 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 the Jonah thing is enough to kind of keep me on board. Like, I want to see if this multi-issue story arc 
ultimately lands Jonah in a place that I find interesting. And, you know, the, like the covers have me kind of interested with seeing Jonah and Spider-Man shouting into a microphone, like it suggests some kind of adversarial relationship. And that's how I like my Jonah. And so I've still got my faith kind of placed always in optimism, always squarely in optimism. And I think that's fair. And, and, and I think we could fairly say also that, that Spencer does a very good job with Jonah. So let's see, let's see where it goes, Dan. This episode wouldn't be possible without the support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue while also getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. All righty, Dan. Next up is our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 39. This time we teach J. Jonah Jameson how to remove all of his likes and ums. And just to be clear, I'm the likes and Mark, you're the ums. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, we hope you guys enjoy the review. Enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man 39. Mark, we start off with, you know, something we don't talk about much. I want to talk about this cover because, you know, a good cover, you know, we have a lot of really good looking covers these days. I think we were lamenting the covers during that 2099 arc as some inventory fill. This cover to me is like, Great. This one's going to stand out in my collection. Absolutely. I mean, or even like some other covers, even from the great like Alex Ross, that just kind of felt a little over inventoryish in their own right. But this is this is that that perfect cover where it's it's capturing exactly exactly what's happening in this issue. And yet it's a great image by itself, too. You know what I mean? Like I look at this comic and it's like, oh, wow, Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson are about to butt heads in this issue, which is exactly what happens in this issue. But it's a great visual of them. So what, what's there's nothing better than that. <laughs> I love the spittle that's like hitting Spider-Man's chin from screaming Jonah. I mean, it's just great. And like even just the color work from Marty Gracia, like Jonah's chin being this kind of like peachy yellow color, like uh, it just really like helps to kind of like shrink his chin and emphasize the mustache and anger in his eyes. There's just like real nice artistry going on here. I'm not sure where that light is coming from, but I really don't care. Exactly. And and the bulging veins in both of their necks is pretty good too. I mean, you know, we're, we're just capturing a moment and it's, it's pretty perfect. I feel like we're about to get like super meta here in this episode because like, <laughs> like I mean, so much of this issue is dedicated to the great art And let me tell you, it's an art form of podcasting, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the one I've been looking forward to. I mean, if if there's going to be any kind of meta jokes, you know, whether it's heading in our direction or podcasters direction at all, you know, uh, this would be the issue to contain it. And I feel like, you know, Nick Spencer kind of got some stuff out here, although I think aimed at podcasts a little bit above our pay bracket. You know, we're not certainly not selling you ads for circle space here. You know, there, there are some kind of fun podcasting jokes in this issue. Where do we want to start here, Dan? I mean, like, you know, should we talk about one of the first big rules of podcasting, which is, um, hold on a second. Um, that's what, what, what was that first rule of podcasting that, that Jonah breaks immediately in this issue? <laughs> I don't, I don't know, Mark. Uh, maybe you need to repeat your action again. 
Oh, God, oh, that, that almost went down the wrong pipe, Dan. <laughs> you almost had me coughing into the microphone there. <laughs> uh, yes, rule one of Fight Club, our podcasting club, is don't slurp your coffee during a recording. In in this case, Mark, what do you have, a beer over there Oh, in no, your that's, bar? that's just water. That's just water. Oh, oh, guys, it's a new year. Mark is turning a corner here. It's a school night, Dan. Uh, you know, no beer tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I just love all the little details here. Like, there's that great kind of page of them setting everything up and you know mark it just kind of it just seemed ring so true to home all the podcasting joy there yes we've got the debut here of the j jonah jameson podcast not the sexiest title in the world but i guess neither is the amazing spider talk so you do what you do jonah don't worry you can always change the title of the show over two years in in a way that isn't confusing to all your listeners uh, um, yeah, well, you know, I, we, we, we did our best, Dan. I mean, you know, I, the, the, the book changed and, you know, we, we, we had to make a choice. <laughs> I, I, we made the right choice, too, I think. Uh, Mark, rule two of podcasting, and this is a more subtle art form that only the, the best podcasters can detect by reading a comic like this. It's don't podcast besides an open window in New York City. Right, Mark? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I was technically in Brooklyn. I mean, that's part of New York City. But, you know, all I had was my backyard over there. But I, I, I did have some noisy neighbors, unfortunately. And then, like, the occasional, like, police helicopter flying overhead or <laughs> fireworks going off or merengue music outside. Okay, so now I'm in a musty old basement with a with a boiler that, like, sometimes goes on and probably drives Rick crazy when uh, he, he hears that in the back of the audio, right? <laughs> yeah, well, let's just say this. The first few years of podcasting certainly were interesting. <laughs> and look at us now. Now, you, of course, the, you know, we, we immediately got the... Well, one of the things I actually liked, and I feel like we kind of deal with this a lot when we have our, our guests on, was, was Jonah being like kind of focusing on this being live and then being like, no, 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 you know, if you mess up, just we'll just edit the good parts in. But, but I mean, but how many times have we like had, you know, not to to stereotype but certain creators from a certain generation who are kind of they kind of get panicked when they're on the show because they might say the wrong thing or misremember the year of a of a comic or a character they created and you could tell like that kind of like slows the interview process down because they think that this is like live on the on the airwaves as we're doing it which it clearly isn't because i could say something stupid right now like Yeah, right? Now, now, I'm sure Rick edited that out, right, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty terrible, Mark. We're going to get a ratings ban on, that, on on you saying that. So, Rick, do your magic. Yeah, no, also all of the ums that are removed from certain creators' interviews. And I will leave them behind the veil of an anonymity because we are doing a good job of cleaning them up sometimes. So I don't know. Nobody said um a lot here. Maybe both Jonah and Spider-Man are voice trained. Or they just don't want to heap all of the um writing work on Joe Caramanga. Poor Joe. I mean, he, he he is the best at what he does. But yeah, I think having to put that in like every other bubble would probably uh, be a little monotonous, right? <laughs> yeah. So Circle Space, you know, that's the, the, the reference in this issue that's going to age terribly well. I'm thinking back through all of the Dan Slott era and Spider-Man singing pop tunes. It'll age just about as well as a membership to our Patreon, right, guys? How great is our Patreon, right? <laughs> right? 
Well, that you know, we we'll, we're probably going to get a, at least another two or three years at a Patreon, right, Dan? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We've got this kind of threats and menaces group. I just want to say this because this is the first time we're seeing this. How terrible is that threats and menaces logo? It's just like the letters T and M in a bad font against a red background. Like, there's no graphic design being done here. Are they that rough shot? Here I am criticizing their graphic design now, but it is weird to see in a comic book this kind of new media empire whose graphic design is really bad. I mean, is it, you think it's intentionally bad or not? I have to think so because it's it's really bad. It's not like Jonah designed it, though. That's the thing. I, I feel like if this was like done by Jonah, yeah, it should be bad. But like, isn't this supposed to be like kind of these very smart, hip millennial people figuring this out? Well, maybe I'm just throwing one at Joe Caramaga now and uh, being a total hypocrite. Hey, Joe, we like you. We like you just fine. Let's get to the heart of this, Mark, which is Peter versus Jonah as shown on the cover. I guess getting right to it, like Peter kind of storms in angry after the results of the previous issue where Jonah kind of outed his connection to S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, I guess the less said about the better. Peter is made to feel bad by Nora Winters about like kind of storming in there and getting angry at Jonah because Jonah really has Spider-Man's back. So he agrees to do an interview with him, which he kind of agreed to do all the way back in Spectacular Spider-Man Volume 3, Number 6, here labeled Spectacular Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 3, but we'll move on from that nitpick. We got this big conversation between Peter and Jonah. What did you think about this kind of centerpiece to this comic? I Like, initially when I saw where this was going, I'm like, ah, we're, we're just going to, like, rehash the, you were mean to me when I was Spider-Man, and blah, 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 but you were, you were a menace, and blah, and we got some of that. I mean, you know, it wasn't completely absent but this did seem like a more personal even though they were they were airing grievances they were more personally focused in terms and more personally in terms of the last couple of years of stories you know ever since this kind of shocking reveal of a couple years ago from that spectacular volume six issue three with with spider-man revealing his identity to jonah finally I mean, since that happened, Dan, we've been talking on the show about like, well, what's what's the actual end game with this? And, you know, there was a part of me that was wondering with this issue, you know, we've kind of seen Spencer, Nick Spencer try to undo the possible quote unquote wrongs from the last few years before he came on the book. And I was like, oh, are we going to undo that now? But I don't know if that's what's really going on here either. But I did like the fact that they were kind of like really digging into each other on a larger level in terms of like what you know how they've slighted each other since this reveal was made right i mean is that is that what you got out of it too yeah i liked what you said about it being personal because it's not really about like spider-man you know and the kind of jonah's feelings about a masked vigilante in this it's really kind of like personal slights between the two like it seems almost obvious as like an outsider that jonah and Peter Parker have this long history. We're not getting into like Jonah being aggrieved about Peter ripping him off all these years in his photographs, but it is kind of about their personal flaws as characters. You know, like Jonah is being, you know, being called like a narcissist who, you know, uses Spider-Man for attention with no real care about how it affects Peter's life. No, no matter if his attention, you know, his ultimate intentions are good or, or not. And then, you know, Jonah slings it right back, which is like, you know, Peter is not actually able to take responsibility and that's why he's kind of like 
a loner is that, you know, he kind of pushes everybody around him away and uses, you know, people not liking him as a crutch for not trying harder in that regard. And in my mind, this was actually a really interesting way to begin deconstructing these characters. I don't ultimately know where this is going to go and what their, you know, new status quo will be. Maybe seeking a new status quo is folly. Like maybe my desire for that isn't really what the writer wants. I just don't know like how you sustain this for a long time. But for right now, I thought like, okay, it's cool to see these characters addressing real issues before, you know, inevitably devolves into, you know, petty name calling and stuff. I mean, the dig that I really appreciated from Jonah, because, you know, once Jonah was on the defensive and kind of getting attacked, and I feel like this was also the true turning point in their in their argument where it got really heated was when Jonah invoked the word responsibility with Peter. I, I, I really appreciated that. I was like, whoa, he's going after responsibility with Peter. <laughs> like, like he knows, like he really knows. Like, I mean, and that's like, I feel like that's very perceptive because it's not like we've ever saw in the, in the panels of this comic book, like, you know, Peter talking about with great power must also come great responsibility. But like, you know, it, it, it shows that Jonah in his own way, despite his myopia, has been paying attention to Peter and what makes him tick. That's really interesting that you say that because, you know, when I read this, I felt like kind of the opposite, which was, you know, how does there's this kind of shorthand where everybody knows about Peter's or Spider-Man's responsibility. I mean, he does, I guess, you know, proclaim it every now and again, but I was kind of like, Oh, like that's, that's like almost weirdly too personal. You know, like how much of a download did he get? But you're right. I, I actually think like reading it as Jonah being perceptive is actually really interesting. So uh, you've actually kind of changed my mind on that a little bit. The moments where Jonah has kind of been honest with Peter since this whole status quo shift, the, the candor has been sincere. And I feel like that, like that he's paying attention in his own way. It's just, you know, it comes out in a in a very off kilter way because it's J. Jonah Jameson. You know? <laughs> so I, I have two kind of like quibbles with the way this conversation went though. Like, uh, so first is that like this conversation isn't initiated by Peter to kind of like make up to Jonah. I mean, he's angry at Jonah, but he's one, he owes him that interview, which he was going to do in that, you know, previous issue of spectacular Spider-Man where he revealed his identity because he was sympathetic to Jonah's kind of depression Right. Like Jonah feeling so down on himself that he, you know, ultimately like felt like the only way to save Jonah was to like appeal to his humanity in some way, regardless of the fallout of that. That felt like a very Peter Parker thing to do. And here where we, we kind of have this like kind of more, I mean, I would say less sympathetic Peter Parker, where he comes, you know, raging into this news media organization, which I get. And then Nora kind of appeals to him. But then the minute they sit down to like interview each other, he starts like rubbing it in Jonah's face that like he's been wrong all this time and what a buffoon he is. And that just really did not feel like something Peter would do. The same Peter that would reveal his face to Jonah in a moment of desperation. It just feels like mean. And to base the whole argument of this conversation on that moment, I felt like it just wasn't strong enough to allow the rest of these events to play out. Do you find any truth in that? Yeah, there was a lot to this that just felt kind of from Peter's perspective, a little tone deaf. And then like, not to jump around too much uh, 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 to your point, but like, 
you know, like you got Nora Winters here. I almost called her Nora Jones. Nora Winters. <laughs> Nora Roberts Nora, per the previous issue. Right, right. Yeah. Just kind of like egging on this this like fight like you know and i'm like what's happened to this character you know what i mean like like she's such a sleazeball now and like i don't quite get where that happened but whatever that seems to be what the status quo is so like there's a, like a lot of like you know in one breath it's like oh cool you know it's good to see kind of peter and jonah granted peter's doing it as spider-man but like they're kind of airing some dirty laundry that needs to be aired and, and kind of addressing some topics that we as readers have even kind of said, well, what's what's the actual end game here? Where is this all going? And this kind of like at least starts moving in the direction of, of some kind of resolution, although I still don't know what that resolution could possibly be, how they're going to get out of this corner that they are seemingly both painted into right now. Peter's kind of bravado and heelishness here, although, you know, that's kind of a part of the character that, we don't get to see a lot anymore, but if you go way, way back, I mean, it's not it's not out of character for Peter to kind of be a bit of a jerk, you know, like that's that's kind of part of who he is. I don't disagree. And I, I'm hopeful that like the next issue or so that is in the story arc is kind of about dealing with that, having Peter kind of reexamine his inability to acknowledge that he was part of the problem, too. Right. His endless pranks of Jonah were not about healing a wound. They were about kind of tearing it open. And that's kind of the same attitude that he had towards like people like flash in his kind of early days, right? This kind of I'll show them kind of thing. And he just kind of elevated it to another level. But with Jonah, I hope that we address that in the next issue. I don't really know how chance is the facilitating agent for that. You know, I, I feel like that Spencer doesn't have Peter acknowledge all these things while showing these amazing splash pages by Coelho of all of the hilarious pranks that Peter has pulled on Jonah and Ned Leeds and everybody who gets kind of roped into this. You know, that has me hopeful that like we're going to see this kind of like satisfying arc here for the character. And maybe that's part of how we kind of change up the status quo is Peter changing and and this kind of public image being a part of this book again. I, you know, I like that they referenced the Kingpin stuff here from earlier in this run where Kingpin was kind of like bringing Spider-Man into trying to bring Spider-Man into his empire and change his public image. But at the same time, I, I would like to see some people on the street stuff because I haven't seen a lot of anim- animosity towards Spider-Man in this book for, I mean, maybe even like a decade. Like I, we've not really seen like, do people hate Spider-Man? Do they love him? I guess during Superior, there was some of that stuff going on. I don't really have a, the temperature of New York's populace and their feelings about Spider-Man. So some of this rings a little hollow. Does he really have a reputation to be tarnished right now? I guess, well, no, because it's Peter's rep. I mean, that was kind of the joke of how the slot run ended with the whole Parker Industries thing. It was it was Peter's reputation that was dirt, not Spider-Man's, you know? Like, it was kind of the inverse of it. So, I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting. But I, I am glad that you made the analogy to, to Flash with Jonah and, and Peter's behavior here because that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like that idea. Like, Peter gets kind of this superiority complex with certain characters that he feels have wronged him in some way. Is this going to be a way to facilitate change out of Peter? I don't know. We get... Chance, the attack from Chance here. We did not get a look out. I, 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 I was kind of surprised here when, when Peter was got. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, granted, Peter and Jonah were kind of like fighting each other <laughs> to, to get out of the way of an arriving Chance. Still no look out. I was kind of shocked by that. 
it was a perfect opportunity for that, but we did get a pun to end the issue. So, you know, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take, I'll take a pun. You know, Chance is kind of the B plot of this story. And, you know, I think fittingly, because I don't think Chance and the Foreigner are exactly like hot ticket selling, you know, names here. So like this is kind of continuing off the last issue where apparently the Foreigner suspects that Chance cheated on their last bet and I couldn't tell you why it kind of goes back to what we were saying in the previous issue, which is I don't really understand this bet and how it all worked out. And, you know, I thought like the foreigner lost in the last one. I still don't really know why, but now he thinks chance cheated. Do you understand this Mark? Oh, not in the least. No, I, 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 this, 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 this whole plot makes like zero sense to me. I mean, like, okay, I, I kind of appreciate these two kind of, up in the cloud type villains trying to outfox each other, but like at the same token, like I'm not seeing anything. I'm not actually seeing any outfoxing. It's just kind of just I don't know. They're just kind of talking at each other. You know, I was just kind of relieved to see that one of these villains is actually deciding to attack Spider-Man and maybe forcing a physical conflict because I feel like we're not getting a lot of that in this book, and maybe maybe we can have a fight sequence that goes on beyond you know two pages worth of panels this time. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I hate to admit it because I often like rag on books as just like most superhero comics just being punch affairs where, you know, people just trade blows and eventually somebody arbitrarily comes out the winner. But some of my favorite Spider-Man comics are like it's maybe it's not really entirely about the punching. It's about like Spider-Man outlasting and proving his kind of resilience or that's the word I'm looking for. You know, I, I feel like that's kind of a theme of this book. We haven't really kind of gone through much. Like there's not a little, a lot of fairs where I felt like Spider-Man came out the other end of it. I mean, the best big fight I can think of is like the big, big man one, but even that was kind of like Spider-Man lost that fight and was kind of arbitrarily freed by, you know, another person. So like, I would love to see Spider-Man, you know, and this is a classic scenario, which is like, we're not in the bugle this time, but we're in threats and menaces, but like I'm down for a chance threatens the office building while Spider-Man saves Jonah stuff. I mean, that's a classic silver age story right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of classic elements to this entire story here. I mean, it's just, where are we ultimately going? Are we going to end up back where we were before the reveal, except now that Jonah knows his identity. I, you know, like, I, I, I'm hoping wherever we end up, we have some wrinkles to current relationship that make this relationship interesting and less of an albatross, because I still feel like it's kind of like, like, I feel like it's baggage for creators right now of this, of Spider-Man books to figure out, well, what do we do with Jonah now that he has this information? So like, I, I hope Spencer can kind of unlock the Rosetta Stone here on this because it'd be interesting. But, you know, I hope it's also not just putting all the toys back in the box in a different way and kind of resetting everything in a way that is not meaningful either, if that makes sense. For me, the next issue is the big tell. You know, like we got this great splash page at the end of this issue that really is exciting, you know, with a great pun. Maybe not a great pun, but a pun nevertheless, and I'm a sucker for that. And, you know, if they can find a way to dovetail these two stories or even just use the chance one to facilitate some kind of revelation between Peter and Jonah, I feel like that's the issue to make it happen. And if it doesn't and it's a punt down the field, that's going to be a little disappointing. I'm, I'm hyped for the next one because I think the way it's been set up, like, suggests that the next issue is going to be a big thing. Cool. Do we want to talk about this Overdrive B story, backup story here? Well, you know, I love 
teases in the back of my book for an upcoming storyline. In this case, it's a tease for Sins Rising. Mark, did you see this kind of preview we got of this new Sins Rising arc? Is this going to take place in Amazing or what's going on with this? I mean, apparently it's this like one shot that's also like an it's got Amazing Spider-Man on the title because, you know, it's going to sell better that way. And it's this like issue with this artist, Kim Jacinto, who I don't really think I know very much. And it's going to kind of like, I think, reintroduce the Sin Eater to people and it's going to set up this big sins rising arc that's like starts, I believe, at like issue 54, 50, not 54, 44 or 45. So in my mind, what I imagine is we're going to do a big sin eater story through the end of the 40s that this one shot is going to set up. And, you know, we'll end at issue 50 with the reveal of Kindred, right? Like it seems like that's the end game here. We got 10 issues to go or whatever, and we're going to get this Kindred reveal. Yeah, I mean, that that seems to be what they've been building towards. But, I mean, in the meantime, I mean, like, we got an interesting kind of sidebar story with Overdrive. I mean, this is clearly one of Spencer's favorite characters to to write, at least as part of the Superior Foes. And we got a callback to that. And we also got a, a callback to the, the Inner Demons, Sans Mr. Negative. <laughs> yeah, I really like that because, you know, the Inner Demons have been invincible for so long that... You wondered if, like, you know, they're kind of almost uninteresting in a way because they're they're so unkillable. They're the unkillable henchmen. Not that henchmen need to die, but like they seemed like not a real tangible threat. But like, it's cool that there is a way to hurt these guys. Like, take Mister Negative out, and suddenly they're like on their own. But I have to ask, what is the fate of Inner Demon Donald? I just have to know where he is. Was he the guy that died in this issue? One can hope. <laughs> I didn't say that. Now that should get edited out. No, I yeah, Donald, Donald, the inner demon is one that we need resolution for, Dan. I mean, like that that was one that was specifically called out at one point. We must know the fate of that character. A hundred percent. I don't know if anybody else cares about that character as much as we do, but Donald, the inner demon is someone that is essential to our show. So Overdrive, like the kind of character that Spencer reinvented, I never thought I would care about Overdrive much, but I thought this was like well-written and I like the tough situation that he gets put in. Like he's a bad guy, but he's not really out to kill anybody. And boy, does this get dark. I mean, it feels like a Daredevil comic all of a sudden, which I guess is appropriate considering Sin Eater is involved, but you've got the like this inner demon guy killing a police officer that's begging for his life and the life of his child, you know, like or the kind of future of his child who has already lost his mother. And it's like, oh, this is not something I'm used to in a Spider-Man comic. Yeah, definitely a level of darkness here. But like, yeah, like you said, this is this is all tying into a Sin Eater appearance. We even get the boots at the end of the Sin Eater. And, and what do we think the Sin Eater is doing here, Dan? I guess he's going to hunt down all of these rogues or something like that. I'm not really sure. Like, I, I don't associate Overdrive with any kind of major sin on the part of Spider-Man's. Like, is he going to be like a Punisher like Vigilante? I'm not really sure. Are we just getting a rehash of Hunted all over again? I hope not. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I need to see like Overdrive and like uh, Janice Lincoln in an in a, in a island <laughs> paradise somewhere or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. The Sin Eater to me is so like nebulous. Like it, it, it does not feel incorporated into the rest of the Spider-Man mythos. So like putting him at the center of some big arc that's not just like a personal story between Spider-Man and him and maybe Daredevil. 
seems kind of strange to me, but you know, you know, maybe that one shot will kind of clear things up. I mean, the kind of villain related one shots we've gotten in the past have all been great. I'm thinking about the like dot HU issues. It's weird to say this when he's not writing Spider-Man, the books are often really great. Um, <laughs> not that his Spider-Man is bad, but like, you know, uh, I, those are ones that stand out for me. Do you want to give this this whole kit and caboodle a grade here? Yeah, this is a solid B for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's a it's a big old B for me. All right. Well, n- until next time, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this discussion. All right. Next up is our Patreon review of Amazing Spider-Man Volume Five, Number Forty, where it's time to export Jonas Podcast as an AIFF or an MP3 file and upload it to the feed. We hope you guys enjoy. Enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man 40. It's an interesting issue, but I also feel it's kind of a little weirdly disjointed in how it's structured. I mean, those are my general thoughts, but so where, where, where are you at with this right now? Yeah, I feel the same. I felt like a lot of the stuff that was in this had, you know, decent substance. A lot of it felt still like a punt down the field. You know, we had like half resolutions to everything. It's like... Oh, we saw the Jonah thing resolve, but not really. It doesn't really move it forward. The chance thing resolves, but like we don't really know why or how or what it all means. You know, like it feels like everything was like a half step and ultimately so not that satisfying. You know, even though I think I ultimately like the issue. Yeah, I mean, it's I I feel like we just kind of keep coming back to similar opinions and feelings when it comes to these runs of issues. It's like. You know, when you when you kind of really get down to it, there there are some things that are problematic, whether it's how the narrative is structured or, you know, some of the editorial stuff. I mean, we got two artists on this issue, which I mean, and, and both I thought did a fine job, but also why do and this is like how many artists over the last five or six issues have we gone through now on this book? I mean, it's nuts. And, you know, I, I wonder if maybe this 2099 thing got kind of sandwiched in in a way that threw everybody off. But it really feels like this book is just like scattered all over the place. Like the Marvel offices, like, have you read that new like Daily Bugle series that's coming out at all? Yeah, it's okay, I guess. (laughs) Even those books have like three artists per book, you know, and it's like, what's going on at the spider office? Like, why do we have fill-in artists on fill-in artists? Yeah, it's pretty perplexing. I mean, you know, I think when we get into our season four content, we're going to be dealing with like similar things about some of those issues when it comes to creative input. And, you know, that was that's like late 70s Marvel. And, you know, it was kind of a chaotic time in the back office there. And I I don't know what's going on right now in in Marvel editorial right now. I, I haven't been reading anything that's too dish worthy, I guess. But the fact of the matter is these are these are just odd things to be seen, especially in a book like Amazing Spider-Man, which, you know, you would think is one of Marvel's flagship books. They would want to kind of keep that creatively uh, consistent. And, you know, for the most part, prior to this run, it was. So what's why the change now, I guess, you know. So we've got your right, Ivan Coelho and the new artist on this is Z Carlos and it's only really for a couple of pages, really. I mean, so like, uh, you know, it seems odd that there were like three pages that weren't done by Coelho. Z Carlos does like mainly the like 
reveal of the podcast uh, in this where like everybody's listening to it and you see Mark Marin. Z Carlos is kind of slowly working his way around the spider office. He did some work on Miles Morales recently and he even did some work in the 2099 Omega story. I know not one that I read, but I, I flipped through it and recognized his name and he's just kind of been popping up here and there. And I don't know. I think his work's fine. You know, I think Ebon is definitely the, you know, the superstar here, if there is one. Yeah. I mean, uh, Coelho's work on the, I thought the Spider-Man chance fight as bizarre as a fight as that was, which we'll get into. I thought that was very visually stunning. I, I really liked how that was rendered for the most part. You? He has a really cartoony style. And I think for a character like Chance, it really works because the design of that character is so all over the place, you know, between little laser blasts or whatever. I mean, it, it felt right at home and his Spider-Man, I like all the kind of aerial acrobatics that even Coelho does. Like It's cartoony, but also like he makes sense out of it. It's not like... Todd McFarland or Humberto Ramos, where the character is breaking the laws of human flexibility. Not that I'm against that. I like his work. And I, I think, you know, I don't think he's a superstar in the way that Patrick Gleason, you know, or Ryan Otley are. But I certainly think he's on par, if not above a lot of the stuff that Dan Slott was working with. I would agree to that. So let, let's let's also talk a little bit about this Spider-Man chance fight. It starts out quite humorously, I feel like. I mean, we got some interesting lines. I, I did enjoy this one, and it's, you know, not to not to reveal the sausage making, but it's it's here in the notes too. So clearly you liked it too. But Spider-Man says he feel you know, nothing's changed with chance. It feels like fighting a bike to the death. <laughs> uh, which is just I don't even know what that really means, but it's just No, th- that's why I wrote it down. I have no idea what that means. I, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm presuming, I mean, okay, let me, maybe I'm getting a no prize for this, but I'm presuming it has something to do with the fact that like Chance is just kind of like all decked out with equipment and clunky stuff. So, you know, like if he's going to like fight him, it's just kind of like, you know, going one-on-one with a dirt bike. You know what I mean? Like That's so fascinating because I, I took it as some like kind of like weird joke about like once you ride a bike, you can always like you always know how to ride it again. So like he's commenting on like, oh, I've done this a bazillion times before, although that's not really true. He's fought chance like three or four times, maybe. But he, either way, it's just like phrased really odd. <laughs> I, I wrote it down because I just thought it was an odd joke. I couldn't quite figure out exactly what he was going for. It's odd, but it, it stood out to me as like I laughed even if I didn't know precisely what the joke was going for because it's just one of those things you don't see often in com- a joke you don't see often in comics for sure. Right, right. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a mixed metaphor, but I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And then you immediately have Jonah kind of like humming and talking about you're interrupting our podcast which then leads to i'm sure a joke that you have felt many many times before on our own recording stand which was like i guess the producer being like well you know this fight is causing some audio feedback audio nerds unite right well whether it's you fighting with the various people in your bar uh robbie rodriguez's dog barking throughout the entire episode and him cursing up a storm. You know, I, I, I've been there for that. This joke really resonated for me. I, as someone who strives for top quality audio through the years, and we've certainly gotten much better, especially with, you know, the help of Rick. Now this was, this really spoke to me <laughs> pretty directly. No doubt. We, we did get another lookout moment. If you recall, we had Jonah look out as chance starts firing his, his, one of his laser guns. So, 
It, oh my God! I totally missed yep, that. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm glad you're playing catch up for me here. Mark. Uh, you know, I'm I, I I felt really proud of myself reading this comic in real time that I saw it right away because usually it's, <laughs> it's usually you pointing it out and going, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> like I'm like I'm, yeah, well, I'm on lookout lookout alert now. <laughs> you had commented last episode that there wasn't a lookout and all we had to do was wait for the next moment in the scene for it to happen. Exactly, exactly. But then this fight. Did I miss something either from an earlier issue or within this issue? So like chances, you know, they're going at it. And and but then all of a sudden chances like, all right, I got two minutes left. I got to throw this fight. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, what's going on? Like, I, I thought like the whole thing was he was going to slip his web sling, his web slinger away. And, and that was like the whole bet with him and foreigner from the last issue. But then it was like, why is this a time limit that he has to lose now? Yeah. It goes back to our, I guess our complaints from a couple issues ago, which was just like, we didn't know why the foreigner lost that bet with the drones and it was never really explained. And maybe it was, and we just missed it. But like, I haven't seen anybody explain this and nor does this issue feel free to clarify on what that means, but it seems like in whatever the rules are, if you win in the chances casino, for some reason it's a loss and the foreigner somehow figured this out. Although we're not party to how he did that, you know, at the end of this issue, skipping ahead, the foreigner kind of tips off to chance like explicitly that he knows that whatever chance is doing is not about money. And so it's not actually about winning. It's about losing, but I don't know what that means. Like, I mean, I can make some jumps, right? Like we get the reveal in this issue of the clairvoyant being involved and Jamie and like maybe they're trying to like bet against the house because the clairvoyant is giving likely, you know, like they're trying to like subvert the clairvoyant or something like that. I, I don't really understand what's going on here. And to be honest, I think this is one of those cases where I like to criticize JJ Abrams for doing this, which is like, the mystery box is not better. It's not worth destroying narrative clarity. I'm also glad that it's not me, that I'm like not missing something that's just blatantly in the text here because I feel like there's something missing. And, you know, to me, it's taking away from the narrative because like, you know, here we are, we're, we have this fun fight developing, like you said, chances of this very colorful character that I feel that Co Coelho is doing a really nice job rendering here. And I mean, even even the punch that Spidey lands when like, you know, he's starting to throw the fight. I mean, like it's a great f splash page showing this punch. But wait, like I like it's taking me out. It's taking me immediately out of it because I'm like I'm kind of flipping back and forth. Like, did I miss something? This doesn't make sense. Like and and then like, yeah, there, there are reveals later. But I also feel like the reveals later in this book were just kind of coming in rapid succession. It was like, all right, we got this and then we got this and now we got this. And it's just like setting up all these other chess pieces on the board. Whereas this this whole story with Jonah and then Chance and 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 all them kind of gets resolved barely halfway through this comic. Yeah, it'll, it's a, just a lot of information. Like you said, it kind of makes me go cross-eyed. But I think the other real problem with it is that none of these things, I, I can draw a straight line to how they connect to Spider-Man. 
Like if foreigner and chance have some weird gambling thing going on, Spider-Man only seems tangentially involved because they saw him and saw an opportunity. So like, should I really be worried about this going on in the background? If like, it doesn't seem to really connect to Spider-Man. And that's kind of the thing we've been talking about all along is like, oh, look, Kindred is really scary, but he's never interacted with Spider-Man. You know, it's like all of these mysteries, like I can't draw a line to why they matter to our protagonist. Yeah, jack-o'-lanterns show up at, at one point and then they, through their assistance, get the web shooter off of Spidey. Although Chance now seems unhappy to have it, which again kind of plays into this what what's happening off panel that we don't quite understand. To your point... I don't feel like Spider-Man's all that upset that someone swiped his web sh- shooter. You know what I mean? Like, where's where's the where's the trauma of that? You know, like they got my they got my tech. Yeah, it's just so weird because last issue they've really convinced us that like, oh no, like Chance has to like put on the show for the gamblers and go like live up to the foreigners' challenge. You know, but if like the goal is to lose, like that was not really communicated there. It, the whole thing is very strange and. You know, I'm ultimately looking forward to what it is because if only just for clarity, but not necessarily because I'm really invested in this story. But yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, the jack-o'-lanterns are fun. I always like a good jack-o'-lantern appearance and it always makes me question, how are these guys wearing these helmets that are on fire? (laughs) But whatever, comics. Spider-Man like lets Chance and the jack-o'-lanterns get away at the like request of Jonah who says like, why don't you just leave him alone and deal with your responsibilities here? Spider-Man owes Jonah this podcast, which I would not consider very life or death. I like the beat ultimately that Spider-Man decides like I owe Jonah something and I'm going to stay back and, and hash this out with him. But in a way I can't help think back to amazing fantasy 15 and think, you know, this is Spider-Man going for some kind of like vanity thing while letting the villain get away And it's like, yeah, he may presume that there's just villains messing with each other, but that's the same presumption that he made back at the studio. I could go either way on this. And I think we had like a similar problem with this. I'm trying to remember when, whether it was in the Nick Spencer run or in Dan Slott's, the end of the Dan Slott run, there was a similar situation to this. But it is a weird thing to highlight, especially for this character. Further muddying the waters here is, okay, so he, he, he... Gives in and he hangs with Jonah and he gives him this podcast. Maybe if there was some kind of real resolution here that would have advanced the story between Spidey and Jonah, not that I would have bought it more that he would let the villain go and not have his responsibility. But like, I don't know, it would have made that decision be have have more meaning maybe or or just been more emotionally satisfying. But instead, we get this whole thing essentially done off panel it's like you know it's kind of breezed through over the course of a couple of different panels here of oh you know we're, we talk we talk and then we come to a new understanding and then we come back to an old understanding and then that's that and then it's like okay the podcast is a hit but like so where do things stand with spider-man and jonah we don't know i mean it just sounds like it's the status quo but it felt like this comic was maybe trying to change that status quo, but I guess that's not going to be the case. So what's going to happen the next time Jonah shows up in Amazing Spider-Man? It's going to feel like the same thing all over again. I hate to be disappointed by expectations, but like last episode, I was talking about how like I hoped that the chance story would dovetail in a way to allow, you know, Peter and Jonah to hash out or continue hashing out their issues in the previous issue of like, 
what is Spider-Man's responsibility in their antagonistic relationship, you know, and let Peter grow in that way. But none of that is addressed here. And so ultimately, like, that's, you know, kind of a disappointment because I, I would have liked to see an opportunity for the characters to grow a little bit. And maybe they did. We just didn't get to hear it, which would be really lame, like to kind of have that happen about as lame as Normie Osborne finding out that Peter is Spider-Man off panel. So it doesn't really allow the characters to grow in any way that we see. So ultimately, I feel like their relationship doesn't actually get pushed forward in, in any way because, None of that stuff was ever really resolved or addressed. And the the whole issue just feels kind of like randomly pieced together. It's like a ch weird chance story and this Jonah story instead of trying to dovetail them in some way. And so you've got this, not only are the end parts of this, but we're going to talk about in a second feel like kind of like, like you like to say ratchet gunned together. I don't know what this chance story allows the Jonah story to do. And, you know, this is kind of a, really stock Spider-Man story. The like villain interrupts Peter and Jonah at the daily bugle or something, but that's often because, you know, uh, uh, you know, barring the grizzly, like Jonah has created that monster in some way. I don't know. Maybe there was a way to tie in the shield element of this, where since Jonah outed Spider-Man, it drew attention in some way. It just, none of it felt like it, connected and again like i said there's no growth for these characters through this conversation i wasn't expecting or necessarily wanting for them to undo this new status quo between spider-man and jonah that's gone back now for a couple years since spectacular but it still feels ultimately like a problematic thing for creators to have to kind of write Jonah and Spider-Man this way now. I was getting the sense like, oh, maybe they're going to find a way to put a wrinkle on this to make this less complicated or make this less problematic. And instead, it's like, no, I mean, like, like you said, there was no growth here. So I feel like they're just going to have to run around in this circle all over again at some point when somebody finds it convenient whether it's nick spencer or some other creator like oh we need to write another spider-man and jonah unlikely ally story you know what i mean <laughs> like it's just I, I i don't get it I, I i don't get what was the point of doing three parts to kind of end it back up in this kind of vague problematic place again i mean it was fun but uh, but you're right it, 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 we are right back where we started now there is a slight wrinkle that gets kind of introduced to you know, the end of this and the next chapter, which is that by doing the podcast, Spider-Man has in a way increased his PR, you know, around New York. Like there's a bit of a public perception net positive, although the next scene seems to suggest it's a bit more mixed. So, you know, Peter goes home and discovers Randy Robertson just kind of like shaking in his apartment, which was a weird transition for me. Like I, I never got the sense that, Randy was traumatized by his ex-girlfriend, Nora. No, not at all. Especially considering this isn't like the first time he's seen her. They went bowling together earlier in this run. And you and I even joked like maybe they would get back together again or something like that. But here he's kind of traumatized. And this kind of speaks to me, too, of like what happened to this Nora character? Like she has been so changed and and i think like there's a weird retcon on her history with randy because really the person who should be like scared of you know the other one is her being scared of randy because if you remember randy was the one that fired her from the daily bugle because of her association with phil who had been like stalking her and obsessing over her and you know she ultimately was dating him 
unbeknown, not knowing that he was the Green Goblin or the Hobgoblin, rather. Randy really had the power position last time there was a real like clashing of heads between the two. It's just uh, like you said, it, it, it doesn't seem to match with anything else that we know about either of these characters. And yeah, I, I like I don't I don't quite get what Spencer is going for with this this version of Nora here either, for what it's worth. I mean, I don't know, like I, I feel like Nora Nora Winters was a fun character when we first met her during big time. But she's not this is not a fun to me. This isn't fun. Like it just kind of just feels problematic and I, I, maybe I'm being too sensitive to it. But like I'm not not having fun with her on the page right now. She always used to tease Parker, but there's something about that she just seems more arch than that. I mean, it could be that it's revealed that she's working with the chameleon, but like even just before we knew that, it just seemed a little more antagonistic than her kind of playful teases that we got before. And maybe something happened to her in the time that she was fired from the bugle, but we like haven't seen or heard about that. So like, why is she so hard pressed for money? I mean, I guess she got fired, but like she, this is the same person that like risked her life going into prison to interview Norman Osborn. You know, I just don't see her as this, like, I thought I always felt she was a self-righteous reporter. And now she's kind of like sidling up with the chameleon for money. I feel like this comic just kind of goes through rapid fire reveals going away from the arc here too, between Nora and Chameleon and Clairvoyant and it, it just nothing nothing flowed like I like you know yes some of these parts are related I get that but like once we got out of the podcast studio nothing about this comic flowed in any kind of way from a narrative standpoint I like the idea of you know Peter getting a job obviously because that's been a major question for me this whole time is like he doesn't seem to be working at ESU Although he's doing research there. So like, where is his income coming from? And at least that's addressed here. So Nora offers him this job, I guess being Spider-Man's agent or something like that. He's the facilitator for what seems to be a kind of tell all series about Spider-Man's life as orchestrated by the chameleon. I don't really know that I understand this. I, I mean, obviously it's a classic scenario where Peter would go back to working for Jonah again creating a false product. Although this time Jonah knows it's false in some way, but it seems aligned with Jonah's interests now. Like what would the chameleon like want a tell all from Spider-Man for? Like last we knew he was like angling to make money doing the Latveria thing. And before that he was like vowing revenge on Spider-Man because of the death of Craven. So, like, what would a tell-all do to accomplish that? I'm not really sure. I'm sure it will eventually come to pass, but I can't connect those dots. Let's just get to grades. What do you think, Mark? I'm going to go C-. minus. That's probably harsher than it needs to be, but C-. minus. I'm much more keen on this issue than I think you are. I'm giving it a B-. minus. I think, you know, it, it mostly works overall, but it just it, it whiffs on what should have been the biggest moment. Which is probably why that your C minus is probably more accurate than my B minus. I had enough fun with the kind of like visual splashiness of the fight scene that like I was like, okay, th- this feels much more focused on the characters and the world and the world that they inhabit in a granular way than you know like the twenty ninety nine stuff did, and I prefer that hugely. So like, if this book can be 
kind of like this, I'll be like, you know, this is an okay Spider-Man book at the current moment. It's funny that you're talking about season four earlier in this, the Denny O'Neill and like Marv Wolfman stuff. And I think this series feels like that. Like we're not getting a lot of the big Spidey villains. It feels like a weird one-off where a creator is kind of working out his own kind of weird personal stuff. It's a little more tied to Spider-Man's universe than those runs were the Wolfman and O'Neill stuff. It does feel kind of like similarly like lost as those runs did. Thanks for joining us for our review roundup episode of the all new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you all enjoyed our coverage of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 38 to 40. What's coming next, Dan? Well, it's the most exciting thing that's coming next. We'll be kicking off our coverage of Season 4 of The Amazing Spider Talk. But of special note, please keep an eye on this feed, our Twitters, and AmazingSpiderTalk.com as we detail that launch and kick off our brand new video live stream. And it's going to be awesome, so you shouldn't miss this. You're going to want to be there for the first time that Mark and I go live, reveal our faces to the world, so to speak. And probably fumble over some controls. But it's going to be great. I, I promise you. God help us, everyone. The best thing you can do to join us for this event is to subscribe to our YouTube page at Amazing Spider Talk and join us at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday, April 19th. We can't wait to see you there for this huge change for our show. But for our Patreon subscribers, the fun always continues. Be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast this week where we've already got special reviews of the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue 42. Plus, listen as Mark and I continue mailbag segments and answer questions submitted by our Patreon members. So if you enjoyed today's show, why not help support our show and get caught up with all of our opinions on all the new Spider-Man comics at the same time? Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, B-book reviews, and more. Even the guys at the Untold Talks of Spider-Man are doing exciting things. They most recently kicked off their first episode of a new Patreon series called The Told Talks of Spider-Man, where they revisit classic Spider-Man stories. The first episode covers Ultimate Spider-Man's numbers one through seven, so be sure to tune in. That whole first trade. So yeah, and, and if you haven't already, go check out the Untold Talks of Spider-Man podcast. They're our sister podcast, and they're always doing wacky things with obscure parts of the Spider-Man continuity. Plus, we've also got the amazing Spider-Slack community for you to join. Just check out this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man talking community. Just recently, we were talking in our collecting feed about where we buy comics. One of our members revealed to me this story that's doing $1 comics, but buy five, get two free. So it was unlimited 60 cent comics, Mark. And I got to be honest, I bought over 200 issues of various Spider-Man titles. My goodness, that's a lot of comic books, Dan. It is. I think I went insane. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of various Spider-Man titles, we've got Rick Coast, and he is amazing, spectacular, adjectiveless, web of unlimited. I mean, I couldn't even tell you all the series I bought the other day, Mark. And he's awesome, and he's our editor who cut together this very episode. So, Rick, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and where we can find your work, including your new podcast. Hey, thanks, Dan. So, yes, uh, if you like stories about the paranormal, UFOs, things that go bump in the night, strange happenings in history, then check out the show. It's Rick Coast's Strange Encounters. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much all the places that you can listen to podcasts. 
Thanks, Dan and Mark. Back to you guys. Awesome. Thanks again, Rick. Mark, where can we find you on the World Wide Web this week? Well, Dan, provided I have not slipped uh, entirely into a pit of despair, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog, or you can go back to the OG site, ChasingAmazingBlog.com, or pick up my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Where can we find you? Remember when times were so quaint that we could just reminisce about where we bought comic books? I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) You mean 12 seconds slash three years ago? (laughs) Yeah, it's very exciting. And, you know, look, comics are my distraction from all of this. So you can find me on Twitter at at SupSpiderTalk, where I'm kind of like detailing my kind of odd finds through the Denny O'Neill and Marv Wolfman runs that we're doing for season four. And boy, there's some strange stuff. Did you know that the Tinkerer kept like a man robot named Toy in a man-sized casket in his garage? Well, I do now. He did. But I, va- but I vaguely remember that. Yeah, and it's I bizarre. did not. I did not vaguely remember that. And so that's been surprising. So if you don't remember these things either, come join me for my vague, weird discoveries of Amazing Spider-Man past and present. But one thing remains true. Even if different writers mess up the motto from time to time... There is a motto that runs through the heart of all Spider-Man fans. What is it, Mark? Of course, of course, Dan. That motto is, with great podcasts, there must also come the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. Don't miss the next installment.